views and opinions expressed on Tuesday takeover are not indicative of Northwest Missouri State University, KZLX LP Maryville. KZLX LP Maryville. I didn't see that coming. Are you out late and don't have a ride home? Safe Rides Late Night Taxi is for you. Tuesday through Thursday, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Friday and Saturday, 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. Not available on Sundays or Mondays. To schedule a ride, call 660-562-1245. That number again is 660-562-1245.
Welcome back, college basketball fans. Tuesday takeover, Logan Weber, Austin McNaughton, Tucker Quinn. Quite an entertaining week last week in college basketball and another entertaining one this week. We got uh, rivalry week, of course, coming up this week. We'll talk about that in the final hour of the show. But opening up with last week's recap, we're going to open up with uh, a new segment that we've we've decided to do. Normally, of course, at the end of every show, we do a weekly pick em, But we've kind of just been picking teams. We hadn't really been keeping track of what correct picks, what incorrect picks we've been making. So last week, for the first time, we finally decided to just sit down. Well, I decided to sit down and just tally mark correct picks, incorrect picks. So we picked 14 games last week. Of those 14, the three of us in third place, technically considered last place because there's only three of us, is Tucker Quinn. Seven and seven. I mean, five hundred. That's not a bad week. Well, considering here's the thing: is considering I was two and seven at one point, then went on a five-game winning streak. Was I'll take that. I was tallying. I was tallying during class yesterday, and at one point he was two of seven in his first nine picks. Wow, and then ended up ended up finishing a solid seven and seven. That's pretty impressive, honestly. Yeah. So Austin finished in second at eight and six, and then I finished first place at, at nine and five. It, there really wasn't a whole lot of discrepancy in the picks that we made. The only real games that we were different in was, of course, the Kentucky-Tennessee game. I picked Kentucky to win that. You guys picked Tennessee. But then you guys picked LSU to beat Kentucky, and I picked Kentucky to beat LSU. So we kind of just flip flop with those two. And then, of course, there were a few scattered ones. We all got the Penn State game wrong. I don't know if there's a person in America that no, can take that game. No, I was going to say, I feel like that's, that's a good loss. That's yep. a reasonable one. I mean, every, I think everyone understands that loss. Yeah, a little bit. All right, well, we're going to get right into it, starting with our Big 12 scores and recap, starting with the number 12 Kansas Jayhawks. Once again, they're the top-ranked team in the Big 12, according to the AP Top 25. We'll talk about the AP poll later. The Jayhawks had what had just that. one game. I, I guess when you're the number one team in a conference, that means you're the lowest ranked, right? I guess. It really be like I'm that sometimes. Let, yeah, this man Logan is going to go off. On I the will AP later. We'll talk about the AP poll during the winners and losers segment, so you might want to stick around for in case that you're one. Guess you're just a loser. My blood's going to boil a little bit. <laughs> Jayhawks had just one game last week. They dominated West Virginia, who has been a complete enigma, to say the least, this season. They win that game 78-53. Five different Jayhawks finishing double figures. K.J. Lawson finally had a, a, a ball game that's similar to something that his brother Dedrick would do. He finished with 15 points, which is a career high for him. Kansas had forced 24 West Virginia turnovers. The Mountaineers shot just 13% from behind the arc as the Jayhawks took care of business in that one in order to stay in the race for another Big 12 title. They're coming, dude. Oh, I don't My man they're... Austin McNorton, this big <clears throat> Kansas State fan, feels them Jayhawks Solid creeping oh, up I'm... on his back door. Oh, I've known they're going to be there. I mean, they've, won it. they've at least shared a title for the last 14 straight seasons. So I know that they're going to be there in the end. That's what makes them one of the best teams in the entire nation. And the thing is with it is that they don't lose at home. That's what makes them so difficult to beat is that um, some teams like Kansas State, we saw them lose at home. Baylor loses at home. Iowa State loses at home. Kansas doesn't lose at home. That's what makes them so hard. You can get a game or two maybe when they're on the road. Um, that's where they start, especially with this younger team that they have this season. But they don't lose at home. So you know they're going to be in the top two, three every single season. 
Well, here's the thing is that out of the last five games, three of them are on the road. So that that's definitely yep. a player in the rest of their season. Um, but it is advantageous for them as they do welcome Kansas State and Baylor to the fog in Allen Fieldhouse. So yeah. that, that really helps. But this Texas Tech game coming up, I mean, this is a make-or-break thing for Kansas. And here's the question I want to ask you. Does Bill Self have this in the back of his head that he doesn't want to let this 15 straight thing go? Or do you think do you think he's like, you know what, this this doesn't matter to me. You know, we're just going to play our game. We're going to play our our basketball. Oh, he 100% is thinking about it. And there's no, I mean, the, he can say all he wants is that he's not worried about that or that the players say, oh, well, we're just trying to take it one game at a time. That's not. I mean, you could say that, but I don't believe it. I mean, 14 straight. These fans know it. The nation knows their dominance in this conference. And the thing is, this year, is that they've been put in such a unique situation. We talked about them uh, only winning six out of their first ten conference games for, like, the first time since, like, 2003 or something like that. And so what Bill Self is able to do now is he's able to play that, oh, we're the underdogs this year. This is a position we haven't been in. And so with him being able to do that and fire up his team, they haven't lost since. <laughs> and I don't know if they're going to, honestly. Playing that underdog role of, oh, no one thinks we can do it. No one thinks we can repeat. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to go prove them wrong. I mean, it's to a sense. You say they haven't lost since. Let's look, you know, if you consider their schedule. You got Okie State. You got that TCU game that went into overtime, which was, you know, was absolutely ridiculous. And then you got West Virginia. So that really That's wasn't fair. a top of the end Big 12 schedule. That's fair. Um, but I think that TCU game really showed a lot because they were really struggling on the road before that, losing at Kansas State, losing at Texas, losing at Kentucky. And so for them to go on the road at Fort Worth and be trailing for most of the game and then to come back and win in overtime, I saw several tweets of um, even the athletic director was in the locker room after that win in Fort Worth saying that was the most excited that the team has been all season long. And you know what I think it is? And I'll, I want to know your input on it too because I know I'm biased. Do you think that with, with Gerald Vick being gone from the team, that has any impact at all? Sometimes maybe not having a not having a leader is better than having a bad leader. I think that's, that's my thought on it. I, I don't know. I, I hadn't heard anything about if there was some some discontent in the locker room with Gerald Vick. I don't know, but like you said, I mean Gerald Vick is a leader, maybe the leader on that team. And I think some of that plays a part in it. But I also think, like you mentioned last week, Tucker, with that whole Dedrick Lawson scenario where he came off the court, Bill Self got into him and, and, and kind of ripped him a new one, and he got, right, he threw his little hissy fit on the bench. Bill Self's not going to deal with that sort of stuff. LeGerald no. Vick, Dedrick Lawson. The, it, Bill Self is on top of it. He's not just going to let his guys walk all over him because he's never done that, and he's not going to let this team do it. And I think that's definitely woken them up a little bit. And I think you've got guys like Okai Agbaji who has literally just come out of nowhere. K.J. Lawson, like I just mentioned, a career-high 15 points. He's playing better. He's contributing a little bit more off the bench, which is something Kansas has struggled with all year long. You know, if I were really going to take this into uh, perspective, I really, really think that this really says numbers about Bill Self and his coaching style. He's a Hall of Famer. Absolutely, but the thing is that we were talking about it last week when he's had NBA All-Stars as four of the five people on his roster. Yeah. And so, I mean, when you when you take that, that into account, 
you know, this year it's been really, really different. He hasn't had that. Yeah, absolutely. He hasn't it's been had really different for him. He hasn't had the So he's been kind of like this molding process throughout the entire season. And I, you know, no, I think uh, these guys will be, and it's not like, and it's not like I don't want to play the, oh well, woe is me, we have all Americans on our team because they do, they have four star, five star sure, recruits, sure, sure, and they will be NBA talent, but they're not this. Year. That's the difference is that they had the one and done, now they don't have the one and done, so that's what's new about it. That's I agree. Number fourteen, Texas Tech, second highest ranked team in the Big Twelve right now. Red Raiders had two wins last week in both of their games, blowing out both Oklahoma State and Baylor. Of course, Oklahoma State is not a gaudy win by any means, but they played very, very well. Shot 48% from behind the arc, only seven turnovers. Jarrett Culver was very, very efficient. The whole team was for the most part, but Culver scored 19 points on 7 of 12 shooting. And then against Baylor, this is a Baylor team that at one point was towards the top of the Big 12 Conference, but they've been reeling as of late, really battling a lot of injuries. They've been very short-handed as of recent. Texas Tech was dominant in that one, winning 86-61. Texas Tech once again took care of the basketball, forcing 19 Baylor turnovers. They had just nine and made 30 of their 35 free-throw attempts. As Texas Tech is now just one game back of Kansas State, in the Big 12 title race, while Baylor is very quickly slipping out of contention, having won, only won one of their last four games. And this this is a big thing too, because when we were looking at you know Kansas's last last five games of the season, I mean it doesn't get any easier for Tech either. I mean no. they got they got at Allen Fieldhouse. You know, in Stillwater against Oklahoma State, which is, you know, it's it's kind of a wash game. I'm not saying that an upset can't happen because it totally could. But then they go they go to Fort Worth, play TCU, they got Texas, and they ran out their season with in Ames against Iowa State. So, I mean, this as much as we'd like to think that it's a Kansas-Kansas State race, I think the Red Raiders are still in it as much as anybody. They're 100% in it, and... For them, we, we always talked about, well, we know how solid they are defensively, um, but offensively, can they also reciprocate that? And recently, they've been able to do that. But my question is, is that last four, four stretch of games, like Tucker said about uh, Kansas, is not the four best teams. And for Baylor, they were up there, but with the loss of Kai Mason and King McClure right. due to injuries. They're really banged up right now. They'll be healthy at the end of the year, um, but right now they're banged up. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't really look at those games particularly. I'm really looking to this game on Saturday against Kansas um, because, honestly, if Texas Tech is able to win that game against Kansas, then they are able to take the sole possession of second place in the Big 12 with only um, one game back from K-State. So they that could they could potentially and this be, I can't wait to talk about it in the next hour about how extreme that game is going to be. But for Texas Tech, if they're able to play that kind of offense, no matter who they're playing against, if you're able to put up 86 points, that's an impressive feat. Do you see? Do you see? Okay, so say say Tech goes into Allen Fieldhouse and beats Kansas, or no, it's, it's, in, it's, in, it's yeah. in Lubbock actually. Yeah. Do you see something with this TCU, this Horn Frog team, making it interesting down the stretch? Do you see them being a player in these, uh, these top three teams? Because when you saw Kansas go into, I mean, they just look flustered when they played the Horn Frogs. So I mean, yeah, but you know who looks flustered is TCU. 
Really? They just make no sense at all. I mean, they, they go, beat Iowa State. They go two Ames and put up 92 points. And then they lose to Kansas by five at home. And that's understandable, I guess. But then they go lose by nine to OU. And then they lose by seven to Oklahoma State. So I don't know what TCU is doing right now. I mean, they're just really so up and down all season. I mean, they look so great. They beat Florida. They beat Texas. They narrowly lose to K-State. They lose in overtime to Kansas. And then they go and lay an egg against OU, Oklahoma State. They make no sense. So I don't even know about that. But you're not saying it's out of the it's out of the question, though. For them to beat Texas Tech? Yeah. No, it's not out of the question. You, but you, you know Fort Worth is going to be packed. Yeah, it will be, um, for sure. But... The way that TCU is playing of recent, I don't trust them to w- win any of their remaining games. And let, except maybe West Virginia. Let's keep in mind that that game's almost two weeks down the road, too. So anything can happen. Yeah, that's now true. But it, it, we'll see what happens with TCU because they play uh, Iowa State on Saturday, which will be a rematch. If they're able to do what they did again against Iowa State, then I'll be like, okay, you're legit. But if they go and lay an egg, then I'm going to say that first game was a fluke. So I don't know. Speaking of Iowa State, they are currently ranked number 19. Iowa State won their only game last week, and it was definitely a huge one. Beating Kansas State on the road, 78-64. to They dropped a game two weeks ago, like we just mentioned, to, I mean, a very up-and-down TCU Horn Frog team. But they had an entire week to prepare for this, this Kansas State Wildcat basketball team, and it certainly paid off. Lindell Wigington scored 23 points in just 24 minutes of action, shot 5 of 6 from 3, while Taylor Horton Tucker put in 20 points of his own, shot 6 of 9 from deep, as the Cyclones shot 58% for the game from behind the arc. And this win, definitely, you guys mentioned Texas Tech, you mentioned Kansas, Kansas State. Iowa State is that fourth team right now yep. in the Big 12 that is firmly in the mix for that Big 12 title. Yeah, this game, that game against Kansas State kept them in. And, and really, for them to do that against Kansas State, whose defense, whose defense has been locked down all season, that's the most points K-State gave up all season. I really think uh, that loss to TCU kind of woke them up at home. And for them to have that full week off before they faced Kansas State helped them as well. And I... You know, this might be a hot take, but and I, I want to know what you guys say because you guys also played Iowa State this season. I truly think that Iowa State could make the largest run in March for the Big 12 because if they're able to shoot like that, I don't know who can beat them. That's the thing. But the question is, can they play defense? Because if they give up 92 to TCU, then they're not beating anybody. But if they're able to put up 76 against as strong of a defense as Kansas State, they can beat everyone. So that's why it's, it's just like, I don't know how far they can go, but I know they can make it to a lead eight at least. It's just the, uh, it's going to come down how consistent they are. If they, exactly. like, like we said, you know, in previous weeks, it's one and done in March. So you got one game to make one, uh, you know, impact. So, I mean, like you said, 92 points at TCU, um, that's crazy for Iowa State. But, I mean, and then you hold a team like, you know, Oklahoma or Texas to sixty or sixty points. I mean, it's, I it's just it's just a tale of two cities there. So we'll see what happens for the Cyclones down the stretch. But I mean, I don't disagree with you that they could make a run because they have you know they have 
absolutely ridiculous amount of talent in that starting five. So And now the Wigington's on 100%. Yep. yep. It'll, it'll be interesting. And that was somebody that Iowa State didn't have when they played Iowa. And I think with Lindell Wigington, as good as he is, he's probably their best player. I would say, I would, me personally, I would say he is a better player than Mario Shayok. Not to say Mario Shayok isn't one of the top five or ten players in the Big 12, because he is. But Lindell Wigington, in my opinion, is Iowa State's best player. And he's not even starting. He's coming off the bench since that injury and putting up tremendous numbers. And that was, that's been a huge key for Iowa State. Our final Big 12 team ranked in the top 25 right now is actually the team currently leading the Big 12 in terms of their standings right now, the number 23 Kansas State Wildcats. Along with that loss to Iowa State, Kansas State also played Texas and West Virginia last week. In taking on the Longhorns, the Wildcats used a, a very efficient offensive attack and great perimeter defense to outlast Texas in that one, 71-64. to Kansas State shot 55% from the field, 8 of 17 from the three-point line, while Texas shot just 4 of 19 from three. Bobby Brown and Xavier Sneed paced the Wildcats, scoring 16 points apiece. Against West Virginia, Kansas State was big in the second half. Their second half was kind of their primary factor in that one. They used a huge second-half surge, blowing past West Virginia in that one, 65-51. And like you mentioned this morning, Austin, despite showing up to warm-ups in a walking boot, Dean Wade started, he played, and played 32 minutes. He scored 10 points, pulled down six rebounds, which was, I mean, a big deal. I mean, it doesn't sound like a tremendous stat line, but just to have Dean Wade on the floor is a huge deal for Kansas State. K-State had nine steals. West Virginia only had three, which led to 19 points off turnovers for the Wildcats. And despite splitting their two games last week, K-State is still in sole possession of first place right now in the Big 12 and still controls their own destiny. I'm going to say one thing before I'm going to let you go off on this. <laughs> okay? Here's the thing is, the, the question is, does K-State have enough in the gas tank to carry it out the rest of the regular season? Do they have enough to hold off Kansas, hold off a charging Texas Tech team? Do they have enough to win the Big 12 and snap that 14-game win streak? I don't know if it's necessarily enough in the gas tank. I think it's more just been there, done that experience with the amount of playing time that this team has had together with Dean Wade, Barry Brown, and Kamau Stokes all playing since they were freshmen. Barry Brown now, uh, he's fifth all-time in scoring. Dean Wade's tenth all-time in scoring. And they're all three of those guys are over 1,000 points in Kamau Stokes, Barry Brown, and Dean Wade. And so it's kind of like they've been in those types of games. They It's like look at this game coming up Saturday against Oklahoma State. They know how – that's a trap game. That's a game that can easily get overlooked as you're looking towards Monday against Kansas. And then down the road, we already played Baylor. We narrowly won down there. We host them now. We controlled and dominated TCU at our house. Now we have to go there. And same with Oklahoma. We had a big win on the road there. Now we host them to senior day. Um, so it, it's kind of like they've been in these situations um, I, I really think they can close it out. Um, the question is, well, Kansas as well. That's, that's the other question. Um, so to answer your question, yeah, I think they can, just based on these guys have been in these situations before. Moving now into our Big Ten recap. Michigan right now is the top-ranked team in the Big Ten, currently sitting at number seven. 
Michigan had a very up and down week. I mean, about as up and down as you can possibly find. Losing their first game of the week against last place Penn State, who had, before this game, just one Big Ten win until they beat Michigan. And then beating a ranked Maryland team, who's currently in the top four right now in the Big Ten by double figures. Against Penn State, Michigan was just thoroughly outmatched on the glass finishing minus 10 in rebounding, minus 8 in offensive boards. Penn State out-rebounded Michigan on the offensive glass in this game 12-4, to which led to a lot of second-chance points, primarily by Lamar Stevens for Penn State. He was dominant for the Nittany Lions, scored 26 points, 12 rebounds, 3 assists, and 3 blocks. The story of this game, really, despite it wasn't even about the game itself necessarily, excuse me, John Beeline got ejected. This guy has been a head coach <laughs> in Division I basketball since 1978. This was the second time he's ever been ejected. Wow. The first time since he arrived at Michigan, and he took the job back in 2007. He coached at West Virginia before that and was not ejected. This man has been ejected twice since 1978. The first time was in 1979. It has been almost 40 years <laughs> since this man was ejected from a basketball game. But he got one, and he got ejected at the end of the first half against Penn State. Quick ones, too. Back-to-back tees and gone within about 30 seconds. I, I, I don't even know how to... <laughs> You're at a loss for words. I'm at, I am at a loss for words. John Beeline is a guy that's typically a very quiet, very reserved guy. He doesn't typically jaw with the officials very much like a guy like Tom Izzo or, or Fran McCaffrey or Bill Self does. But he certainly did. He did not like the officiating uh, against Penn State. And then against Maryland, Michigan got definitely got back on track in that one, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. 16 turnovers by Maryland. Maryland shot just 36% from the field as Michigan wins that one 65-52. And Michigan did a great job, as they normally do, of spreading out the wealth a little bit. Everybody got involved scoring-wise. All five starters for Michigan scored at least eight points. And not a single starter finished with more than 14. So the scoring was very spread out. There wasn't just one guy scoring 25, right? It wasn't just Ignis Brasdikis or Charles Matthews dropping 25 points. It was spread out. You didn't really know who was going to get a bucket. It was just, it was a thoroughly dominating offensive performance by Michigan. You know, I can't explain the Penn State-Michigan game. I don't think anybody can. No. I don't even want to attack it and try to. I wasn't to. going to either. I was hoping you might because I, I don't know how to even approach that it. That is just what happened. ridiculous. It really is. But that just says wonders about the Big Ten and Big Ten basketball is that there are here's so my, many competitive teams that anybody can beat anybody. But here's my question, though. Does that loss in the long run help Michigan? Yes. Why? Um... I think that Penn State, of all teams, Penn State exposed Michigan's weaknesses better than anybody, and I think that only solidifies what they got going down the stretch. Now, transferring into the Maryland game, they they Michigan proved why they are you know in the argument for the best Big Ten team you know in the conference. So I just holding Bruno Fernando to 12 points, you know, only allowing eight rebounds throughout the entire game. Um, he only got, you know, 10 shots up, only made five. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know, man. This is, this Michigan team is, and that's why I think it's a good thing is because 
obviously they needed this because they could go into the tournament as a two or three seed and get beat by a 13-14 seed and be knocked out. That's exactly what I was going to say, and I think that's why that Penn State game is as big as because it tells, it shows that, right, it shows, it gives John Beeline a little bit of a talking point like, hey, we can't underestimate anybody. I think it. the word that I'm looking for is vulnerability, and it showed how much of it Michigan actually has is not this big top dog in the Big Ten. And I just, you know, good for Penn State. I mean, really. <laughs> if they needed something to hold their hats on during this season, because, yeah. gosh, it hasn't been a great one. But, you know, that, that, that was very interesting to see. I turned on the TV, and I'm like, what is going on? And you could ask the same for Michigan State, and I'll let Logan preview them, because they, they lost three in a row, and now they're on a three-game winning streak. So you could ask the same thing for them, too. I think all of these all of these losses that these big teams are have can only, mean, can only be advantageous for them. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, Michigan State, like Austin mentioned, our second-highest-ranked Big Ten team. They're currently number 10. Spartans... Finished 2-0 last week. They've played very, very well as of late with a big win against Wisconsin and then beating Ohio State. Michigan and the, the, the matchup between Michigan State and Wisconsin was very, very close throughout. But Cassius Winston proved way too much for, for Wisconsin to overcome. This was something that last week when we were discussing this Michigan State-Wisconsin matchup, I said could be a weakness for Wisconsin. The Demetric Trice versus Cassius Winston matchup and it, it definitely proved to be just that. Demetric Trice was outmatched all game long. He only scored four points. Cassius Winston finishes with 23 points, six rebounds, six assists. And Ethan Happ did everything he could, but at times almost proved to be a little bit of a fault on himself. He scored 20 points, pulled down 12 rebounds, but he had six turnovers and finished 0 of 6 from the free throw line. With, I mean, as Michigan State kind of towards the end of the game went into a little bit of a almost like a hack a hap situation is the way I could describe it. Not like hack a shack, it was more like hack a hap. Like, I don't know. That's what my father yeah. said. I don't really know how else to describe it as, as Michigan State wins that one 67 to 59. And then against Ohio State, it was definitely a very, another very back and forth game for a majority, but. At the end, Michigan State did what very similar to what they did against Iowa a couple of weeks ago on a huge 20-2 run to finish the game as they blitzed past the Buckeyes in that one by a score of 62-44. This game was tied at 42 at one point. And then Michigan State just took over from there. Ohio State in that one shot just 32% from the field, 27% from three, and 44% from the free throw line. To go along with 15 turnovers, Michigan State had eight blocks. That might be the most dominant defensive <laughs> performance I've seen in the Big Ten all year. Something cool for me is, looking ahead for Michigan State, is that they got a matchup with the top, the other top team in the Big Ten. You know, it flips back and forth with Michigan twice. Do they give out the Paul Bunyan trophy for basketball, too? No, it's just a football thing. Oh, yeah. that's sad. But, they got Michigan at Michigan in Ann Arbor on the 24th, and then they meet in East Lansing in the last game of the season on the 9th of March. So it'll be interesting for Michigan great. State down the stretch. I think that, you know there's going to be a very decisive Big Ten you know victor here because both teams are going to get a shot. But so 
I'll ask you. So we all know what Cassius Winston brings. Who is the difference maker for Michigan State when it comes down to it? Is it is it McQuaid or who's the guy that they're like? Other than Cassius Winston says, here's our difference maker. Because like for example, for K State, we know that Barry Brown and Dean Wade are the guys, but. Xavier Sneed is the difference maker. Who's the difference maker for Michigan State? That other guy who doesn't get the name but is a killer. At this point, I have no idea because at first it was Joshua Langford, but then he got hurt. He's out for the season. And then it was Nick Ward, and now he's got a broken bone in his hand, so now he's out. So I, I don't know. It could be Matt McQuaid. I, re- I just I really do not know. It's going to be very interesting for Michigan taking one out of stretch because they're going to have to do what Kansas is having to do, and we were talking about it earlier, is they're going to have to mold a team that's going to fit their scheme going through the tournament. And it's going to be very hard. I'm not going to doubt Tom Enzo because that man is a freak of a nature coach, but it's going to be tough for him. It really is. I mean, if they're going to – because they're going to get a good – So are you leaning towards Michigan to win this conference? Gosh, I would have said yes until I saw Penn State. I mean, oh, come on. Well, seriously, though. I mean. Seriously, though. I mean, you take the last place team in the conference. They go in. They go in the play. I mean, that's just one of them. It shouldn't shouldn't happen now. It should not happen now. But, you know, good good thing that it did. But I don't know who's going to win this one down the stretch. Really? I really don't know. Is it Purdue, maybe? I don't know. I'll let him preview Purdue, but is it Purdue? Purdue right now ranked 15th. In the country, they're currently one game back of those two teams right now in the Big Ten standings. Purdue lost their opening game of the week last week against Maryland, which is a a good Maryland team currently ranked in the top 25 before bouncing back and defeating Penn State. Maryland blocked eight shots and forced 17 Boilermaker turnovers in that loss, that 70-56 loss for Purdue. And then Carson Edwards finished with 24 points, but he shot just 8 of 27 from the field. So, yeah, he scores 24 points. People can look at that and be like, wow, Carson Edwards put up all these points. But shooting the ball 27 times and scoring 24 points is as inefficient as you can find, and that's not going to help your team win games. Towards the end, it seemed like he was playing fairly selfish basketball, but Purdue was not good offensively. They shot 7 of 33 from the three-point line as a team and managed to lose this game by double figures despite only having four turnovers. They did they a tremendous job taking care of the basketball. They just couldn't make shots. They just couldn't make a shot, yeah. And then against Penn State, Edwards was much better. He scored 21 points on 6 of 11 from the field. That is a respectable number that you'll take. Matt Harms was great as well. 18 points, 6 rebounds, 2 blocks, as Purdue cruised in the second half of that one to a 76-64 win. Penn State shot 21% from the three-point line, while Purdue shot 56. And this was what was kind of weird to me looking at these two games. Strangely enough, so like I mentioned, they lost by double figures to Maryland with only four turnovers. They beat Penn State by double figures with 23 turnovers. You you have 19 more turnovers, (laughs) but yet you literally double your win. I I don't understand. That doesn't make any sense at all. So, with Matt Harnes coming in, he, can, he does his first start, right? Because he's been, he's been coming off the bench. He, yeah, he's primarily been a, a bench, a role player all year long. So, does that 
how deep their bench is. I mean, because you know what Carson Edwards can do. If he has a bad night, does their bench just add to the level that this team can go into March? I absolutely think so. I mean, you got you got five guys on the floor for Sabina that are, you know, they're good scorers. Um, they can hang with most teams. Yeah, they, they can hang with most teams. Um, I'm, I'm a strong believer in that, you know, bench help means everything because those guys have got to come off the floor at some point, and you're getting into a tournament where you're going to play, you know, two, three games, you know, a week in the first few rounds, two games a week. So I don't know. I think Purdue, you know, and here's a hot take if you're ready for one. I, you know, looking down the stretch, I could see five or more Big Ten teams in the Sweet 16. I think it's very, very possible. Because you nine, got right? Are there nine Big Ten wow. right now? Lenardi is eight. Well, Lenardi's latest bracketology was eight. Mm-hmm. There were eight teams. Indiana fell out. Okay. But, I mean, we, you know, the Big Ten with Purdue, I mean, is a great example. They didn't start off that great, but they're finding some, they're finding some winning ways down the stretch. And, I mean, you got Maryland lost. That was, you know, that was a pretty big one. But, I mean, they got, they got time. And, Purdue ranked only 15th in the country, then say too cold, but, you know, it's, it's interesting. We'll see, we'll see what happens. Our next Big Ten team is the Iowa Hawkeyes, currently ranked number 21 in the AP poll. Hawkeyes won their only game of the week last week in what I can only say is incredible fashion against Rutgers on Saturday. Down 66-68, Rutgers, Geo Baker, hit a three with just over three seconds left to give Rutgers a 69-68 lead and presumably the win. I can say personally, as an Iowa fan, Tucker and I are texting back and forth. Geo Baker hits this three, and I'm like, well, it's over. This is what being an Iowa fan's like. We hit a buzzer beater against one team and then get one hit against us. That's just how it is. Right, Purdue drives 80 yards down the field to kick a field goal and ruin our hopes. Michigan State <laughs> drives 80 yards down the field and ruins our college football playoff hopes. That's just how it works to be an Iowa fan. And then Connor McCaffrey defies the odds, man. Defies them. Connor McCaffrey, the multi-sport college athlete that he is, plays baseball at Iowa, also plays basketball. Of course, he's the son of of Iowa head coach Brandon McCaffrey. Throws a 90-foot baseball pass. It gets tipped by Nicholas Bear. The lone senior on our team has the presence of mind to tip it to the corner where... Joe Wieskamp, a true freshman from Muscatine, Iowa, which is population like 9,500, is a small town in Iowa, banks in a corner three at just the strangest angle I've ever seen. Corner three? (laughs) It banks in off like the side of the backboard and in. And Iowa wins this game 71-69. Just a remarkable game. Jordan Bohannon was great once again. 18 points, 5 assists. Isaiah Moss had a great game. He's kind of a guy that has kind of flashed really good potential at times, and other times he's kind of faded away. He scored 17 points and was huge in the first half, keeping Iowa in the ball game. He also finished with three steals. But for I just I don't even know how to describe the way that that game was. These magical endings, these improbable comeback wins help you? In March, because you, especially because all the games are going to be like that, and you say we've been here, we've hit, we've made these plays before. I, I yes, because in the Fran McCaffrey era, I, I saw something on 
on Twitter the other night. It was some uh, a guy who worked for CBS Sports. I can't remember his name. I think it was John Rothstein. I think did a, he had a graphic. Fran McCaffrey in his previous eight, he came to Iowa in 2009, I believe. In his previous nine seasons at Iowa, he was 33 and 61 in games decided by six points or less. This season, he's six and one in games decided by six points or less. Iowa is a team under Fran McCaffrey that has traditionally struggled in close games, struggled to come back in close games, struggled to hold the lead in close games. And Iowa has proven time and time again this season that they can hold off a team late. The only loss that they had by less than six points was against Wisconsin. And that is a team that you will that, – that's, that's, that's a good loss. But to come back from down double figures against Northwestern and to fight off a Rutgers team that – and is dominant on the offensive and defensive glass. Iowa's not a team that is great rebounding the basketball. For them to win those games and to win it close is huge. <sighs> I did so like, ooh, let's go. Okay, let's see. First off, Muscadine, Iowa is a great town. It Here's is. the only it problem is. I have with Muscatine, Iowa. Mark Twain. Mark Twain has a quote that said that because he lived in he lived in Muscatine. He was a writer for the Muscatine newspaper. Said that the most beautiful sunsets he'd ever seen in his life were in Muscatine, Iowa. Okay, fair enough. But direct quote. Okay. What up? Why you pointing at me like? Oh, I hate Iowa. I was just pointing. <laughs> I really was just pointing. At the only problem, and this gets a little off back there for a second, but I got it. I just gotta say it. So the only problem with Muscatine, Iowa, that I have, is so you have your normal two lane roads going through town, right? Like a Main Street in Maryville. Yeah, okay. a Main Street. They uh, put it's a four lane road, so they do two lanes on each side of the yellow divider. And you have no business being a four-lane road. So that's the only thing I hate. The one road all the way through Muskegon, Iowa, before you cross the bridge into Illinois. It's too small, man. It's too small. So you have a main Imagine Main Street, Maryville, being divided up into four lanes. I wish it was four lanes. Traffic in the middle of Maryville is insane. What's wrong with having four lanes? That's absurd. That's traffic efficient. Okay, after this show, I'm going to go on to uh, the Iowa State Troopers website in Iowa Dot or whatever it's called. I'm going to tell you how many wrecks come out. Seriously, it's come out of Muscatine. Anyway, okay, so that's that's my spiel about that. Get off my soapbox. Here's the thing about the Iowa Hawkeyes. It disappointed me to see this happen with Rutgers. That's the one thing that disappoints me because we should go in the rush. Should have come down to that. Absolutely not. You know, if it was a Purdue, it was a Michigan, it was a Michigan State. Um, you know, even even Wisconsin or yeah, you know, so teams of that nature where Iowa historically has had problems with and being those big top of the tier Big Ten teams. Okay, I'll take that. I'll take a buzzer beater from Joe Wee's camp. Wheezy, wheezy, wheeze oh, camp at the win, end. Right? It is a win, but that scares me more than anything. Really? I don't know if it's more advantageous to win so down the stretch like that. For, for winning down like that for it's the Rutgers thing. If it was anybody else, okay, fine. But Rutgers should not be thrown down to that. And here's my other thing. Is that where is Luka Garza been? Uh, I, I just, I, 
We need him to be successful. Because he's such a big body down low, and that's our main rebound force is Mr. Garza. I mean, his ability to stretch the floor. Right, and he's, he's not a bad shooter either. If he's an open space, he'll knock down a screen right, right in your eyes. It's, it's insane the amount of talent that he has, but he just has this temper on him that gets into him in a foul trouble. I can't stand it. Wisconsin ranked number 22 right now. They split their two games last week, of course, losing to Big Ten leading Michigan State and then defeating, I can't believe I'm saying this, a red-hot Illinois team. Badgers utilized strong defense, holding Illinois to just 37.5% shooting. They only attempted 11 free throws. So Wisconsin did a tremendous job of contesting shots without fouling. Ethan Happ struggled in both games this week, but he really struggled against Illinois. Scored only six points, pulled down only three rebounds in 27 minutes of play. Finished the game with three turnovers to just two assists and missed all three of his free throw attempts. But he didn't need to be great because Brad Davison and Khalil Iverson were. They scored 34 of the Badgers, 64 points on the day. But for Wisconsin, that's got to make you a little bit nervous. For your best player and a guy like Ethan Happ to play the way that he's been playing as of late, that's kind of nerve-wracking. Does Do you think Ethan Happ will get drafted in the NBA? Because he, he, for he, me... Logan and I were having this conversation he today. He can't make a free throw. That's true. That's true. And you know how much... How bad it's going to be for them in March when every single game is close like that. Every single game comes down to the wire. And your best player has to sit on the bench because he literally can't make a free throw. That is bad. If, you, if you're that bad, if you're Shaq-level bad at free throws like he is, I mean, he's not going to be able to make it in the NBA, right? Or am I just like, well, looking too there's, much into There's it? a couple things that incorporate into that. Ethan Happ has all the all – the, the essentials when it comes to you know being on the floor and being that guy to spread the floor to take attention off other other teammates. But the other thing that he has a problem with it with is just like Nika Garza, Ethan Happ gets into foul trouble more often than not, and so he's on the bench during critical times in close games. I mean, you look at you look at forty nine seconds left in this Illinois game. Illinois was down by two with the ball. And Ethan Happ was, you know, where was where was yeah, Ethan exactly. Happ is the right thing to say. Exactly. But it's just, absolutely, I think it makes Wisconsin fans, they should be nervous. Absolutely, because you get into March, and like you said, every game is going to have the potential to it's come, come down, down to this. Like More often than not, teams win on free throws. Coming down, I mean, you're going... 100%. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, Ethan Happ at the free throw line is not what you want to see, and you know exactly what teams are going to be doing is they're going to be intentionally fouling Ethan Happ because they know they're not going to get... I might, even as a head coach, if I'm up by like four or five late in the game, I'm fouling him if they're trying to come back in the game because he's going to be in the game for them to try to get back into it. I'm fouling him, sitting to the free throw line. We're going to continue to build our lead in the last two minutes of the game. Because he won't be able to make a free throw to get back into it. And the thing is, is that if you take Ethan Happ out, Wisconsin starts struggling that like like they have been with Ethan Happ. I want to know what his plus minus is when he's on. I bet it's 
pretty I just, high. I just don't know who's going to step up for Wisconsin in this in this place because sitting right now, they need every bit of what they have. And if you take Ethan Happ out of the picture, I don't know. I know. It'll be interesting. Maryland is currently ranked number 24. They are our final Big Ten team in the AP Top 25. Got a huge win against Purdue, but could not continue the momentum against Michigan State. They finished the week just 1-1. One and one. But taking on two of the top three teams in the Big Ten standings, if you split those two games, you'll definitely take that. Yeah, I mean, for Maryland, it's just going to come down to consistency and getting the ball in Bruno Fernando's hands and letting him go to work. Um, How tall is he? Is he seven foot? He's 6'11", yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a big presence down low. It's just... He, gets, he, whether gets he in, scores or doesn't score. I mean, he know, gets presence. into foul trouble a lot too. Oh, really? Absolutely. So, I mean, for Maryland, do they play man? I think so. Yeah, I don't think primarily. I've ever seen Maryland playing zone. Okay. But uh, I know sometimes when they have a big guy like that, like some teams will go zone. Like first team, like when Isaiah Austin played for Baylor, they played that zone. I mean, they always play zone, but or Mo Bamba for Texas, having a big guy like that, you just stick in the middle and say good luck. You know, for Maryland, going down the stretch, I mean, they got Iowa tonight in Carver. They go, you know, back home to play Ohio State, go back on the road to play this crazy Cinderella Penn State team that just came out of the blue to beat Michigan. <laughs> so I'm sure that's on their minds. And then, like, I, you know, with that, they welcome Michigan back into their home court, and they finish with at the at the barn against Minnesota. So, you know... It'll be interesting. They got. They don't have a, a cakewalk left to their I think schedule. you said it'll be interesting for every single team in the Big Ten so far. It is interesting. <laughs> I don't know what better word to say that. That like, is it. That's how do so I describe funny. it better? That really is. I that's mean, for the so Big funny. Twelve, you ha- you <laughs> have you have what four teams at the top are fighting in the Big Ten? I mean, it's yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's deep. Man, I, I just don't know. It's interesting. <laughs> there it is. Every time. All right. While they are while they are unranked, we are going to discuss the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Proximity. Yep. They they're a definitely a local team, probably the closest team to Maryville, Missouri. But Cornhuskers had a good had a, had a very good week. Drake. Okay, yeah. Is Drake, Drake. the closest really? Yeah, Drake's but in Des Moines. They're a mid major. I feel like Omaha's closer, isn't it? Des Moines is two hours. Omaha's a little over two hours. They're okay. very close. Yeah. Okay. Very close. I mean, they Nebraska went two and zero last week. Finally, snapping this long seven game win streak that they had, they beat Minnesota and Northwestern at home in their first matchup in a battle of depth. I mean, what can only be called reeling teams right now. Nebraska rode the play of, of their juniors and James Palmer Jr. and Glenn Watson. They combined to score forty three points in a close sixty two sixty one win over the Golden Gophers. Palmer himself led all of the scores with twenty four points. None of those bigger than the two free throws he made with only 1.1 seconds left in the game to clinch the victory. And then against Northwestern, it was a, a different hero of sorts for the Huskers as Isaiah Roby put together a absolutely absurd stat line. 19 points, 16 rebounds, including five offensive rebounds, two steals, and five blocks. He was assertive in every aspect of the ball game in that one, the Wildcats were just t- 5 of 25 from the three-point line and committed 50, 15 excuse me, turnovers in a 59-50 win for Nebraska. 
I think the biggest thing here is that, you know. So is Nebraska just fighting for Big Ten seeding more, more or less than anything else at this point? Are they trying to re- – are they young? Are they trying to, like, well, build, here's the the, thing uh, build is, up these young players for next season? Or Nebraska's at that point where they're not super young, but they're not super old either. I mean, that injury to Isaac Copeland really shut down their season. I mean, you know, for Nebraska – I think they're just putting a resume together to hopefully make the NIT tournament or the oh, National okay. Invitational Tournament. Okay. So I think their hopes of the NCAA bids gone out the door probably five or ten games ago. Um, I don't know. I think it's just consolation prize at this point for Nebraska. And but building you're still worried about season. playing then the last game of the season. No, they have nothing really to play for. It's an Iowa-Nebraska rivalry that there's everything to play for. I mean, I just – who – Nebraska's turned into that team that wants to spoil, spoil team seasons. What better team to do it than go out on the end of the year with the W against Iowa? So, I mean, you know, that's that's what I'm worried about it because personally, as a Hawkeye fan, I still don't trust our starting five in the Iowa Hawkeyes. So I don't have that – Come know, on. Chip on my shoulder that says, You're in the top hey, 25. Have I some know, faith. But, man, one point victories over Rutgers. You know, I mean. Those that, games that, happen. It's on the road. It's, uh, you know, it's I mean, happened that, twice in a row. Okay. All right. Well, looks like we're not going to have time to go over our SEC recap. We're going to talk a little bit SEC here. Um, it's my winners and losers segment for the week. I'm going to open up. With um, my first winner, my first winner this week is LSU. Beating Kentucky gives LSU a, a definite recognition in the college basketball world. They're finally going to get the respect they deserve. And with them beating Kentucky and then Kentucky beating Tennessee, they're now tied with Tennessee atop the SEC standings. And for LSU, They've, I mean, they play Tennessee at home next this Saturday, and that game really could decide who ends up winning this SEC conference. They play Florida twice at home and on the road. They play at home against Vanderbilt and at home against Texas A&M and then at Alabama to finish the year. So it's not like they're playing Kentucky again. They're not playing any other real threat in the SEC other than Tennessee. So if they can beat Tennessee, they're in the driver's seat and look, I mean, very, very poised to end up winning the SEC as a whole. My first loser this week is, it's a very weird um, loser, I would say, is the rest of the Big Ten. Maybe. Right? Nick Nick Ward gets hurt for Michigan State. And for me, that makes the Big Ten a loser because now Michigan State, Nick Ward is not ruled out. This is a guy that is he's gonna it's it's a five four to five week injury process, and then he can come back. So Michigan State now has to play this final month of the season without Nick Ward, but then they get him back. So if Michigan State's Michigan State now has a month to prepare with other guys. Guys like Matt McQuaid, guys like Xavier Tillman, and get them improved, make them better, and then you get Nick Ward back. Come possibly the Big Ten tournament, maybe towards the end of this 
regular season and then into the NCAA tournament, I think that's going to make Michigan State a lot better. And, I mean, maybe Nick Ward getting hurt, Michigan State loses a game or two. They drop to third, fourth in that Big Ten standing, right, going into that, going into the Big Ten tournament, and then you get Nick Ward back. They're the best team in the Big Ten when you get Nick Ward back. So I think because of that, that could definitely make the Big Ten a loser because they're going to have to play a Michigan State team that has now got other guys contributing, and then you get Matt, you get Nick Ward back to pair alongside Cassius Winston, Xavier Tillman, Matt, right, all those guys, and I think that could definitely be drastic for for the Big Ten. My second winner this week, and Austin's not going to like it, it's Kansas. With matchups against... Everything's falling into place. It always does. It always does. With matchups against Texas Tech and K-State looming for the Jayhawks, and with Kansas State dropping a huge game to Iowa State, this the door is... I mean, I don't know how many eyes I put in that wide that I just typed up. <laughs> is wide open for them to make it 15 consecutive Big 12 titles in a row. Because, I mean, they've got... T- on Saturday, at Texas Tech... And then on Monday, two days later, at home against Kansas State, if you win those two games, you're back in the driver's seat. You're back in first place. And then at Oklahoma State, at Oklahoma, and at home against a very, very underhanded Baylor team, if they win out, which is very, very plausible, then Bill Self and staff have done the improbable, which nobody thought that they would do when they were sitting at 7-4 and four or whatever it is oh, in I knew Big they 10 or Big 12. I had no doubt at all. It happens every single year. The only chance, and it all rides on this game on Saturday, <laughs> it all rides. Texas Tech has to win or else they get a share or else they, it's 15 straight. If Texas Tech doesn't win, it's 15 straight. Texas Tech loses, but then Kansas goes in and drops an egg okay. against K-State and Allen Fieldhouse. It is okay. not over. Okay, I guess, yeah, if K-State can beat them in the fog – then you're right. Yeah, but I'm not sure I'd put my money on that. That's a huge if. Yeah. That would be the biggest win in K-State history. I don't know what I would do. I wouldn't show up to school for a week, maybe. Have you been alive for a sweep of Kansas in the same season? No. I haven't. I haven't been alive. I'm oh, gonna, my I'm gosh. I'm looking up to double-check while Logan goes off on his uh, yep. hey, don't, AP. Hey, oh, you ruined it. You spoiled it. Spoilers. <laughs> My second loser this week, and one that I am very excited to discuss a little bit. We're probably going to go way over time when I'm discussing this, but I I had to. My second loser is not because they, right, that a loser being like, okay, this team lost to this team. No, my biggest loser is the loser system that is the AP poll. It is a complete joke. It, It bugs me so, so much because it's the primary thing that everybody uses everybody looks at the ap top 25 and says like oh well where is our team ranked oh well who is who's number one in the country right now and it's all based on the ap top 25 and this ap poll and in college football it's not as big of a deal because we now have the college football playoff rankings so there's there's it's not as big of a discrepancy as it is in college basketball but college basketball doesn't have that the ap poll is so biased and so based on a name, it makes me sick to my stomach. And as an Iowa fan, I know, of course, there's going to be biased because I disagree with what has happened to Iowa over the last two weeks. We are undefeated in the month of February and have somehow not moved at all in the AP poll. We've moved down. 
We moved from 20th to 21st, and we were undefeated this month, which is obnoxious to me. So, and there's so many other things you can look at. I mean, you take a look at the fact that right now, Louisville is ranked 18th in the country at 18 and 8. Villanova at 20 and 6. Villanova has some terrible losses. Villanova got beat by 30 against Michigan. A Michigan team that lost to Iowa by 15. But yet Villanova is three spots ahead of Iowa. Iowa State lost by 16 to Iowa. But yet Iowa State is two spots ahead of Iowa. Virginia Tech scored 40-something points against North Carolina State in the worst offensive performance in the history of college basketball, and they're ahead of Iowa. Kansas State loses at home to a very, very good Iowa State team and drops five spots in the AP poll. Yet Michigan loses to 9-16 and 16 Penn State and drops one spot. North Carolina wins both of their matchups last week and stays the same. I just don't. Houston is twenty-five and one, and Michigan lost to Penn State, but yet Houston doesn't move ahead of of Michigan. Tennessee loses to Kentucky, who was ranked in the top five. Tennessee's ranked number one. Their second loss of the season, and Tennessee drops four spots. Now, mind you, it was not a close loss. They got blown out against Kentucky. I will mention that. But to drop four spots from number one to number five. I disagree with that a little bit, especially as good as they have been all year long. So I just, I don't understand the bias of this system with voting for a name, right? They, they hire all of these writers to put their, their votes into this system. These voters don't watch 80% of these games. So they see, oh, well, Duke, or oh, North Carolina, or oh, Villanova, and they all just the names write that are on yes, Center. And they just write them in and turn it in. They're not paying attention to what's happening. And it bugs me. This Louisville being 18 and 8 and somehow being ranked 18th in the country bugs me. Their best win this season is against North Carolina, which is a good win. I will not discount that. But they have very bad losses. Iowa does not have a bad loss. Iowa's five losses this season, Wisconsin, Michigan State twice, Minnesota, I mean, and Purdue. Those are not bad losses. Minnesota, okay, yeah, they are a bubble team in the NCAA tournament. That's not a bad loss. Louisville has bad losses, and that bugs me. So, yeah, that's my... That's well, my the, rant. The only one that I might like disagree with a little bit is the Tennessee one because the I feel like the logic of them dropping them to five is you couldn't keep Tennessee above Kentucky. I agree. So since Kentucky was five, to keep Tennessee at like a three or a four in Kentucky, having the logic of Kentucky being Tennessee so bad but still being behind Tennessee would have been questionable. But everything else I completely agree with with what you said. Well done. Well sir. said. That, that was well very well said. Done. I totally agree. Well uh, said. The, I mean, Louisville is really the, the, the thing that kind of bugs me a little bit. Against, uh, against talking this Iowa-Louisville comparison, as of right now, similar opponents, Indiana. Louisville lost to Indiana. Iowa beat Indiana. So I just, 
that, that that really does against Michigan State. Louisville lost to Michigan State. Of course, Iowa lost to Michigan State. So that's kind of just a, a wash. That's a coin flip. You'll you'll take that. But it's they totally the name. They have not played well as of late. They beat Clemson by one point on Saturday. They lost to Duke. They lost in their last six five games. In their last five games, they are two and three. And they beat Virginia Tech who is somehow also ranked ahead of teams like Iowa and Kansas State and Wisconsin. And they beat Clemson by one. But you lose to Florida State, you lose to UNC, you lose to Duke, which are not bad losses, but you've lost three of your last five games. You're 18-8, and eight, while an Iowa team that is undefeated in the month of February, you rank them ahead of them, strictly because of a name. And that's just how the AP poll works. It is an outdated flawed system that needs to be changed. They changed the RPI and replaced it with the in, the net system, the net rankings, the NET rankings that we have now and they are it's very very good. The NET rankings are far superior to anything that the RPI ever had and something needs to be done about the AP top 25. Wilson, so. All right. Well, retweet. <laughs> retweet. Oh by the way, the last time that uh, K-State swept KU in a season was in 1983. So, no, I haven't been alive. Wow. I haven't wow. been alive. I have seen, let's see, let's count how many times I've seen K-State beat KU. Just think, beat them in I my think, lifetime. I think my mom One, graduated two, high school three, in 85. Four, five. <laughs> I think if that puts a little perspective. I have people. seen K-State beat KU in my 21 years of life five times. That's what I'm going to say. Is that big. If K-State was able to sweep, that's what I'm telling you. How big, I don't know what I would do with myself. That's what I'm telling you. I don't know, because I've never experienced anything like that. Well, I guess I guess we'll find out. Just finished with it's winners sad. and losers. It's we're going to guess winners and losers coming up in our next segment, this final hour of the show. We're going to do our weekly preview and pick them. You're listening to Tuesday Takeover on KZLX. We are back. Moving now into our weekly preview, starting with college game day. Syracuse taking on Duke. That's on February 23rd, so that's going to be this Saturday. This game is going to be in Syracuse. This is going to be the fifth time that the Orange have hosted College Game Day and the seventh time they've been featured on College Game Day. Bayheim's club took down Duke earlier this season, 95-91. That game ended in overtime in Cameron Indoor, handed the Blue Devils just their second loss of the season, and for, for the Blue Devils, they haven't lost since. And now with Duke being the number one team in the nation, which I think we can all agree with, that's that's deserving. Um, with what they showed in that comeback win against Louisville and just how they've been playing of recent. Uh, boy, this is a tough game for them. And really their uh, first test is being, well, it'll be their <clears throat> second test by the end of it. But what a week because you look at they play North Carolina tomorrow night and then they travel to New York and take on the Orange, who a team they lost to earlier. In this one, though, I'm, I'm going to give uh, the nod to Duke. I don't think they're going to lose to the same team twice in one season. Um, it will be a big environment. That place is going to be rocking. It's a huge arena uh, there that the Cuse play in. Um, but I think Coach K is going to get his team pretty fired up for this one. It's giving them all the motivation, saying, hey, they beat you in our place. It's time to give them a taste of their own medicine. You know, for me, I think Syracuse is a much different team than what we saw earlier against Duke. Um, 
I mean, in their last six games, they've been three and three uh, with the last loss coming to NC State. And, you know, as we were talking about, that Virginia Tech-NC State game was one of the worst offensive productions in all of college basketball history with, what was it, NC State being held to like 30 30 points, period. So, (laughs) and, you know, NC NC State beat... uh, 27, I think. Okay. NC State beat Syracuse by 20 points, so... I'm just really not seeing this one being much of a game. I think there's going to be a lot of hype around it, but once the ball hits the floor, I think it's going to be all blue I think doubles. now that RJ and Zion have seen that zone from Syracuse and experienced it firsthand, now they're going to be knowing, know, knowing what to expect and be able to beat it. Yeah, I think it's going to be all blue doubles. Well, speaking of Duke, that's the other game we're going to discuss. Kind yeah, of a, I put uh, in the bonus yeah, game because I was like, I have to put this in. Austin put bonus game tomorrow night. Rivalry week, of course, kicks off this week. Number eight, North Carolina. At number one, Duke. Cameron Johnson and Luke May attempting to do their best, I guess you could say, to to stop R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson. This is a tremendous stat that you pointed out. The 249th career meeting between these two programs. One of the most storied rivalries in all of college basketball. Absolutely. And, and it's pretty even, too, between the two teams. Um, and, and I'm, I'm going to go with Duke winning both games this, this week. Um, this one being at home. I, I, I don't think the next the game um, in Chapel Hill will be... Uh, I think that will be North Carolina. But for this one, I'm going to take Duke. Um, I just think that play is going to be so fired up. And Zion, there was a quote from Zion that said he's been watching this game since he was a kid and how it amped up. I mean, this is the game. When you go to Duke, this is why you play college basketball at Duke is for this game right here. So they're going to be so fired up, these freshmen, these elite freshmen for Duke. And I'm going to give them the win on this one. You ready? You're going to go with the road team? You ready? I'm so ready. No, I'm going with Duke on this oh, one, too. Oh, what do you got to hide that up like <laughs> that? I'm going Duke on this one, too. I think, you know, Zion and RJ, this crazy dynamic duo is just going to run the table from here on out, to be honest with you. Wow. I really do. Um, but, you know, North Carolina, it's going to be close just because it's it a UNC-Duke game. It's it's going to be close. Um I'm going to be very disappointed if there's not a fist fight in the stands during this game. <laughs> because yeah, this, that's what you look for, isn't it? I mean, I mean these schools think, are eight miles apart from each other. Yeah. So that's what, exactly what we're looking for. But, you know, I just think Duke's going to be too much for about North Carolina. Eight miles apart from each other. Can you imagine? Can you imagine, like, us? I, I, 40,000 students, eight miles separated from each other. Both. And they both. hate each other. Yes. Since birth. Hey, born to hate the other school. Oh, my Like, Lord. there's no – I can't even imagine that. That's like – that'd be nuts. You either you have, you either bleed Tar Heel Blue you're or, or you're – you're, like you're, you're, No, yeah. oh, well, I root for you when you're not playing us. No, that doesn't exist. Very very strong likelihood you run into multiple – I mean, that's a lot of conflicting parties, I would say. All right. I'll, you see, you see them wearing that NC on Applebee's Ooh. in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, and you're like – we're fighting right now. <laughs> but, okay, I'll, I'll, since it's rivalry week, what's the greatest rivalry of all time? This one. It doesn't have to – really? This out, one. out of everything. It oh, be, in any sport? It could be any sport. Ohio State, Michigan. Really? I would go with that's the most – or, or. And it hasn't been this of lately, but I might say Notre Dame, USC. 
That is a huge, huge. Okay. Was a huge, so you're huge ride. Three college. Well, I'm, I'm just. I mean, you could have thrown out Celtics, Lakers. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? We we don't talk NBA on this 1980s show. 1980s so Celtics Lakers, away. maybe. Give me a give me a good college rivalry from your point of view. Oh, it's definitely Duke North Carolina. You think? Yeah. Is that yeah. the number one? I think that's number one, yeah, because it's so closer where with Michigan and Ohio State, Ohio State's kind of, especially recently, they've kind of controlled that. In football, for especially. Uh, yeah. yeah, they've kind well, of Michigan's contr- controlled basketball. Yeah, so it's kind of uh, one or the other. Uh, but with this, it is dead <clears throat> even always. And you're always, always, always going to – like some of the top ten greatest games of all time, like five of them are Duke, North Carolina. Yeah. So when I, when I Google top historic rivalries – uh, the eight that make the list are at Army Navy. Okay, yep, that's a good one. Alabama Auburn. Okay. Michigan Ohio State. I don't agree so much that Al- I mean all Alabama Armor. Yeah, they're in this, but it's just one sport. Like it's just ah. Uh, uh, okay, maybe. Duke North Carolina in football. Ever. I mean, there might be. That's I could fair. count yeah, how many, on two true. hands how many fans attend that game. That's but, true. Ouch. But and then you got that's the Red true. River rivalry, Oklahoma Texas. Yep. That's probably a big one. That's a huge one. And then one. the other one, you got USC, Notre Dame. Okay. You got Georgia versus Florida, which is very interesting That's to me. That's interesting. Um, Miami, the the old rivalry, Miami and Florida State Seminoles. Oh, I thought you were going to say Miami, Notre Dame. I was huh? thinking Miami, Notre Dame was the first one that popped into my head. But, for, like, for me, from, from, a, comp, from a competitive and a strictly – Hatred is the word. I like. It's the best word to describe this rivalry. It's Duke, North Carolina. So this, that is the best that... rivalry. But for me, my favorite rivalry from a organic historical perspective is Army Navy. I love that. I love the Army Navy rivalry. That's that's what History they have. At, that's here. what they have at number one. And and if we're talking about how competitive this rivalry is um, on the football field. It is sixty to fifty-one Navy. So it is very, awesome. it is very, very but close. I, I mean, yeah, but from a competitive standpoint, I mean, Duke, North Carolina are constantly competing for Final Fours, elite, right, conference championships, those sorts of things. Army, Navy aren't really competing for those sorts of titles anymore, right? Roger Staubach is not in a uniform. That's <laughs> not it, that. It, there's not. There's no 1940s national championships going on at Army, Navy anymore. But from a historical perspective, those two programs and. Just the right the the military perspective of it, army versus navy. It's just a very very cool thing. That's why I like it. Yeah, but according to this list, so we both say Duke w- North. You say Army Navy. Yeah, you, I say Duke North Carolina, and you say Ohio State Michigan. Yeah, no, I think I think the mo- I think if you said sports rivalry, living in this part of the country, everybody would say Buckeyes Wolverines. I yeah. think I think that's huge, but according to this list, Alabama Auburn is the second ranked by an Army Navy before Michigan one. Ohio State, and it's crazy. This it's forty five thirty six Alabama. It's it's not as far apart as you wow, think I'm it is. Kind of surprising, and I'm sure it's come in the Nick Saban era in the last yeah. ten years where you'd see Alabama kind of pull away like except that. for that one where they missed the field goal and Auburn took it back one hundred eight yards and what is the most incredible ending I've ever seen in my life for a college football game. Yeah. Facts. So um. Yeah, I never really got to say who I thought was going to win this North Carolina Duke game. I never really to. got to make a pick. You taking the Tar Heels? Yes. Whoa! 
I'm picking North Carolina. Oh, okay. I like I like the veteran presence uh, of this North Carolina team. They have a lot of different guys that do a lot of different things. Cameron Johnson, Luke May. They have a lot they of don't different do Zion things, though. I don't care. You should. You Syracuse should. has nobody at the level of Zion and RJ. They lost. That's yeah. just early Syracuse in the year before they were finding the. Year. And no. Syracuse is just such a Not, different. Don't team. say early in the year. Zion dropped. Almost 40 on Gonzaga. Before they found out who Duke was, before they and started playing. Syrac- Duke was number one. Everybody's known who Duke well, was. Also, Everybody's like, known who Zion Syracuse and RJ were. Syracuse is such a different team to play, though, too. Because they're so, like, they play so different than everyone else. With the zone and... Well, I'm glad you're taking the Tar Heels because that'll just give Austin and I a chance to move yeah, up. And I really, so. really, I really, really am interested in watching Nasir Little take on Zion. I really I really am interested to see how that matchup really turns out. And the thing I really like about Duke is or about North Carolina, excuse me, is Cameron Johnson. This man is so so good. He's a great rebounder for a guard, but the most telling stat for me and I think that's a, a really interesting part of this game is his ability to shoot the ball from outside. This is a man that's shooting 48% from the three-point line, averaging almost 16 points a game. He averages almost 1.4 steals per game. And Luke May, being a senior, this guy's won natties. He knows what's going on. He knows what Duke, North Carolina really means. There aren't very, you, you say, right, Zion went to Duke because he wanted to be a part of this. Right? He does not know what Duke, North Carolina is until he's on that floor. Luke May has been on that floor Six times for this Duke-North Carolina rivalry. He knows what it is. He knows what he's supposed to do. And it's going to help North Carolina because he's going to be able to be like, hey, let's get it together here. Let's do what we're supposed to do. North Duke doesn't really have that guy. And I think that's going to really help North Carolina in that ballgame. That's a good point. But I'm still, I'm still going with the just <laughs> sheer amount of talent and emotion yep. that those guys have. Moving now into the Big 12, starting with games tonight. Baylor at number 19, Iowa State, back on track and flexing its considerable muscle and balance, Austin says. (laughs) Number 19, Iowa State will look to even things for the season with Baylor on Tuesday when, I mean, the shorthanded Bears visit and aims for a key Big 12 matchup. Like we mentioned earlier during our recap, Baylor is a team that has been fighting injuries very, very Mm -hmm. recently, big injuries at that. Baylor won the first meeting 73-70 to in Waco, but that was almost a month and a half ago at this point. Baylor was healthy. If the Cyclones can keep this momentum to stay within reach of that Kansas, Texas Tech, and K-State sort of four-way race at the top of the Big 12, this could become a very interesting battle. Baylor's lost three of their last four after winning six straight, but that has a lot to do with all these injuries that have occurred for the Bears. Uh, yeah, for me, that's going to be – I mean, Iowa State's on the highest point they've been all season long after that win in Manhattan, and Baylor's just beat up, kind of licking their wounds still. Um, so I, I don't think this game will be close tonight. I think Iowa State could win by 20. Yeah, I like Iowa State too. I think I think the Cyclones, playing at home, I mean playing, playing in after Ames such and a Hilton, big win. absolutely. I don't think they allow Baylor to come in. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. But I, th- really? I think Baylor might hang with them for a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, I like Ohio State, or Iowa State. Sorry. Yeah, I'm going to take the Cyclones as well. 
Moving to our Saturday games, Iowa State once again taking on TCU. That one is in Fort Worth. Yeah, a rematch of of a game we had earlier this season. TCU upsetting Iowa State. That one in Ames. I think we're going to be a little bit... A little bit of reverse crime in this one. I think Iowa State's going to go to Fort Worth and get a big win. So do I. I, I just think they're playing if, – if they want to stay in the top of this conference, every game for them must be a win for the Cyclones, and I think this is another one. I like the Cyclones on this Oh, one. for Zelda, you were like, no, you were like no, setting no, it up no, to me. No. I'm always, just keeping y'all on your toes. Gotta, he's That's always got to hype it up. Always keep us on our toes. You do. I will admit. I like, the, admit. I like Iowa State. Oklahoma State travels to Manhattan, taking on the 23rd-ranked Kansas State Wildcats. Um, I don't really think there's much of a discussion you can have for this game. It could be a trap game for K-State. That's true. uh, Because they're going to be looking towards that matchup at the Fog on Monday night. Um, But really, this is a game where K-State played unreal the first time these teams met up. Um, So I think they know how to beat them. Uh, and I don't think these seniors like the feeling of losing on their home, and they're not going to lose back-to-back. So I'm going to take K-State. Every win for K-State – every win, every game is a must-win for K-State down the stretch. No doubt. And so I don't see Kansas State losing this one. Obviously, they're looking forward to that meeting with the Jayhawks in the fog. Um, but I think they're going to play – you know, I took the last time Oklahoma State – um, played Kansas State. I did take the Cowboys. But that was the first game of a uh, five-game losing stretch for, <laughs> for Oklahoma State. So um, not going to do that again. I like uh. the Wildcats. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number 12, Kansas at number 14, Texas Tech. This is going to be, I mean, probably, I don't know. I don't want to say the biggest game. This is one of the two big games in the Big 12 this week. Both teams are playing very, very well right now, really focused on on capturing another Big 12 title, especially for Kansas. They won their last three games after losing to Kansas State. They look very, very focused. They look like a much different team. Taking on the Texas Tech team that's won its last four games after losing to Kansas on February 2nd. So a definite most win for both of these teams to take over second place alone in the Big 12 to move to just half a game behind the Kansas State Wildcats. <sighs> well, I, I, I want to know your picks before I do mine. I'm okay. taking Kansas. Okay. Yeah. Well, this team looks very, very Mr. good. Mr. K-State over there, I know your pick, too. So, I mean, you, you just go ahead and get that over with so I can uh, get on my way, too. I really, really, really want to pick Texas Tech because this is a game where they – it should I mean they they could win they really could their defense is capable of making Kansas tur- force turnovers. Boy, what are you going to say? For me, I think you I think you need Kansas to win because if Kansas loses to Texas Tech, I think you lose by twenty on Monday. Okay, but that's fine though. If if if, if Texas Tech beats Kansas, then then kind of puts Kansas out of the way. Though. Then if K State loses to Kansas on right. Monday, K State's still ahead. Yep. K-State would still be ahead in the Big 12. Yep. So, you know what? I'm picking Tech. I'm just surely based on emotion, I'm picking Tech. Yeah, we know. Honestly, though, I think Tech can win because the way KU has played on the road this season, they turn it over a lot, and Texas Tech is a team that makes teams turn it over a lot, 
And with the way Tech has been playing offensively, let's go Red Raiders. Guns are blazing. Let's go. Come this, on. This man cannot pick without bias. It's impossible. Know, it's just... Unfathomable for this. I've picked Iowa State so many times on this show. I've picked Nebraska. It doesn't bother me. I'm unbiased. i got to go with who I think is going to win if the game. If you've lost to a team in the conference 14 straight years, then you'd know how big of a game this is. <laughs> 14 straight. It's got to end. It's got to end this year. This is the. It's not about you. It's not about if you think it's gonna right. It's about if you think it's gonna happen. Not if you want it to. Not that you wish it would. I but if you think it's gonna happen, and I don't think it's gonna. happen. I don't think it will either. But I'm just gonna hope it. Kansas. <laughs> I'm taking the Jayhawks. Oh, on, to, man, on, on. on to the next game, please. We, we heard enough. Well, um, mouth on our next one, game. So it, well, you haven't heard enough because our next game is Kansas at Kansas State. Part number doe of our Sunflower Showdown. Of course, the rankings aren't going to be known. This game is on Monday, so the rankings will come out at noon on Monday, noon Eastern on Monday, so we won't know where these two teams sit in terms of the rankings. Jayhawks are definitely going to look to get revenge on Kansas State in front of their home crowd on Big Monday. Barry Brown's going to take the Wildcats, who are 6-1 and one on the road into conference in conference play just this season, into arguably the most intimidating environment in all of college basketball to try and move Kansas completely out of the way in terms of a, of a Big 12 title. I picked Kansas to beat Texas Tech. I'm also going to pick Kansas to beat Kansas State. I just think that this Kansas team has looked much, much better as of late. Uh, Dean Wade's injury makes me very nervous with him having to match up with Dedrick Lawson. I think that's going to be a problem. I don't right. Regardless of how severe the injury is, even a slight injury to that foot ankle region against a guy as athletic as Dedrick Lawson versus a guy like Dean Wade, who is not a very athletic big to begin with. He's crafty, right? Crafty. He, he's very, very crafty in order to, to make plays and those sorts of things. I think that's going to be hard for Kansas to battle with, for Kansas State, excuse me, to battle with all night long. And I think that's going to be a huge key for jail. Let me let me just go ahead and take my you can go you do, do your thing on this sunflower showdown. <laughs> okay. But her first, I just want to insert a little stat here because I was curious about sunflower production in the fifty states that Kansas isn't even the top three in sunflower production. So here's the thing is we got South Dakota our state name. South Dakota rounding out the top with nine hundred and seventy five thousand pounds of sunflower seeds made a year. Then it goes North Dakota and then it drops all the way down to Minnesota at one hundred and fourteen thousand, California, and then Kansas. So the Sunflower Showdown or the Sunflower State has totally been disproven. All right, on to this matchup with Kansas and Kansas State. What's happened? Kansas isn't losing the fog. I'm sorry. It, Kansas by, you know, I'd, I'd give Kansas, you know, by 10 on this one. I don't think it's going to be close down the stretch. KU will win by probably 15. Um, in this game, they're, 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 I said 1983. So your hope is for Tech to beat Kansas this weekend. It's a must. You have more faith, or you have more want in Tech beating Kansas than K State beating Kansas. Yeah, because I'm reasonable. I know that we can't. No one can beat them in the fog. It just doesn't happen, and especially not their most hated rival, 
who beat them already in this season and dunked it at the buzzer? 1983 no, was the last time K-State swept the Jayhawks. Is it possible? No. <laughs> 19, 1983, that's a remarkable stat. That's probably, oh we're witnessing history too, because it's probably been since 1983 that Austin picked Kansas to win a game <laughs> over Kansas State too. And he was negative 14 years old. <laughs> uh, no, it's true. I mean, that's just that's just not a very, if, if K-State's able to win that, I, I wouldn't know what I would do with myself. I really would, because that would be remarkable, but it's not going to happen. Yeah, I wouldn't want to hang around him for probably 48 hours. (laughs) (laughs) Moving now into the Big Ten, starting with games going on tonight. Number 15, Purdue travels to Bloomington to take on Indiana. Indiana started the season off very, very well. 12-2, beat Louisville and Marquette. And since then, like you put, Austin, seems a distant memory for, for the team and the fan base, the Hoosiers are now 13-12, and 4-10 and 10 in the Big Ten. They have been an absolute free fall. They've lost 10 of their last 11 games heading into this matchup against the Boilermakers. I mean... What's the nickname of this rivalry? Do they have one? I'm not, I'm not sure. I really am. Surely I'm, I'm not, got they've got to. Because they're both Indiana schools. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I don't know. Boilermakers have won 9 of their last that 10. that Mr. Sunflower. Factation. <laughs> With, with the emergence of Matt Harms coming off of the bench now into the starting lineup for Purdue to pair him alongside Carson Edwards, looking as, as Purdue looks to stay within a game, a half game right now, uh, of Michigan State and Michigan, <coughs> who are currently tied for first, I think Purdue is going to continue to keep pace. I think they're going to beat Indiana. Yeah, I, I think the free-for-all continues for the Hoosiers. So they are fighting for the old Oaken bucket. In this what? historic rivalry well since 1891. So, all right, here we go. Larry, this is a big game here, boys. All right, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm taking Purdue in this one. I don't think <laughs> I don't think Indiana has all that what it build takes. up. Big game, and then yeah, I'm gonna take Purdue. That doesn't matter. We're all just gonna vote unanimously for oh Purdue. The Boilermakers will take care of the Hoosiers, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> Very interesting game in our second Big Ten matchup of the night tonight. Number 24, Maryland, at number 21, Iowa. Hey, Dave! <laughs> Hawkeyes looking to, to keep their, their magic alive, I guess you could say. Of course, winning on buzzer beaters the last two games. They're undefeated in the month of February. Will the Hawkeyes, who have won four consecutive games, be able to stop Bruno Fernando? This will be the last chance this season for for Mark Turgeon to beat a ranked team on the road. They're 0-19 in those circumstances in his eight years at Maryland. He has not won a road game against a ranked team in his, in his tenure at, at Maryland so far. Maryland's going to definitely need a big game from, from Bruno Fernando, who almost he nearly had a double-double against Michigan, Michigan narrowly missing that with 12 points and 8 rebounds. He has eight, offense, or eight double-doubles excuse me, this season. And like we mentioned, Luca Garza has really, really struggled with foul trouble, so that's definitely going to be a key to watch. Uh, I'm going to take Iowa on this one. I think coming back home after such an unbelievable finish, there's going to be so much momentum on this game facing a top 25 team. Uh, so I'm going to go with the Hawkeyes. Are you not? <clears throat> They just came off of such an unreal win. I mean, that's got to factor in a little bit. It does. I mean, it carries some momentum, but 
I mean, then again, and like my previous conversation, it was Rutgers, though, who they beat. This... With this, it's a whole different battle about shutting down six foot ten Bruno Fernando, keeping Luca Garza out of foul trouble in the process. Gosh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. <laughs> I'm taking the Hawks. Let's go. Hey. I got. I got to do it. Of course. Well, that seemed like a very um, emotion based decision. I'm going to take Iowa, but it's got nothing to do w- with emotion for me. You mentioned Luca Garza battling foul trouble. Bruno Fernando's another guy that's really battled foul trouble all year long. Mer- Maryland's bigs as a whole have battled foul trouble, and they're a very inexperienced group. Bruno Fernando's a sophomore. Their starting four is a, is a true freshman. They don't go very deep. Maryland plays about seven or eight players. They only have one true forward coming off the bench who's only six foot eight. So this is an Iowa team that gets to the free throw line, makes more free throws at a better percentage than any other team in the Big Ten. Tyler Cook is a tremendous low post presence, as is Luke Garza. He can't, but he gets to the free throw line a lot. So if he's (laughs) if he gets to the free throw line, he's a seventy percent ish, sixty eight to seventy percent free throw shooter. But if he gets to the free throw line twelve to fourteen times, then that's seven eight fouls that he's putting up against these bigs for. For Maryland, Luca Garza is an 87% free throw shooter. It's pretty impressive. When he gets to the line, he gets to the line quite a bit, does a great job. And with as good of an outside shot presence as Iowa has had recently, Jordan Bohannon is putting up great numbers. Joe Wieskamp is a 46% three point shooter. Isaiah Moss had 17 points in their last game. He's a 45% three point shooter. So that inside outside presence for Iowa. If Iowa can do a better job than they did against Rutgers of rebounding, which, I mean, they were they were barely beat in the rebounding category against Rutgers, and Rutgers is the top-ranked rebounding team in the Big Ten, I think if they can contain Maryland on the offensive glass, especially Bruno Fernando, I think that's going to help Iowa, and I think that's ultimately is what gonna, is going to win Iowa this basketball game. I think Carver has a lot to do with it, too. I think if we... Maybe. You know, yeah. Last I saw, there were still 1,500 seats available for tonight's game, and I that just, was an I hour and a half I just think the ago. home field advantage for Hawkeyes, they play well at home. They have proven they play well at home. I think if this game was you know, in Maryland, I think it would be a little different. Probably would have gone with the Terps at that point. But I like the Hawkeyes' chances tonight. Let's eat. Let's eat. <laughs> Moving to tomorrow's games, Rutgers at number 10, Michigan State. Do the Scarlet Knights have the motivation to come out and, and upset the Spartans after losing uh, only what can only be described as a heartbreaking loss after that circus shot by Joe Wieskamp against Iowa on Saturday? For the Spartans, however, they need to continue to win. It's just just win, baby, right? Exactly. They, they're right now tied atop the Big Ten standings right now with Michigan. They play Michigan twice the rest of the way. With that matchup, they have matchups against Michigan coming up, so this could be a bit of a trap game for the Spartans. But for me, Tom Izzo, his teams get so much better in February, moving right into March. With Nick Ward being out, that does hurt, especially Rutgers being as good as they are of a rebounding team. I think this game could be close, especially because of that rebounding discrepancy without Nick Ward, who is Michigan State's best rebounder. But Rutgers has nobody that can cover Cassius Winston, and I think that's going to prove to be too much for Rutgers. 
Uh, yeah, I'm going to take Michigan State as well. I, I put in there the trap game, but I don't think that, that those games apply to Tom Izzo and Michigan State. They don't lose games like this. They don't look past games like this. Um, I think this is just another win before that game on Sunday. I'm going with the Spartans here too. Go green, go white. Isn't that what they say? I don't know. Michigan State? I, I feel like it is. I know the student section is called the Izone, and that's pretty cool. That's yeah. amazing. That's I cool. did not know that. Izone. It's because it's crazy. Wow. <laughs> Learn something new every day. That's anyway, amazing. Anyway. I feel like every student section you know, needs a nickname. It's the small, it's, it's the small things with Austin, isn't the nest. it? The, 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 nest? the, haw- hawk's, the hawk's nest, man. Ah, it's not as good, no. What's K-State's? I don't even know if we have yeah, one. Yeah, that's what I thought. So okay, octi- here we go. Our, our, our here we go. I'm, ta- I'm, take, I'm taking the Octagon of Doom, but that's, I don't know. It's not a student section name. It's just a stadium Why name. does that sound like a really bad dungeon that somebody made up in a car? It's because our stadium is in the shape of an octagon. Well, octagon well, of Doom. Was that the first name so. that UFC fighters came up with for the cage? The Octagon of Doom before it's they like, called it the cage, which sounds way cooler. The Legion of Doom. It's like DC villains. Yeah. Anyway, I'm taking the Spartans on this one. Moving on to Thursday, number seven, Michigan at Minnesota. After a convincing bounce-back win over Maryland on Saturday, the Wolverines looking to avoid another letdown, another trap game loss against the Gophers before they take on Michigan State on Sunday. Um, I just think John Beeline, this Michigan team, is not going to overlook an opponent ever again, not after losing a game like Penn State. I think that's going to be a huge key. I think Michigan's going to win. You said exactly what I was going to say. They're not going to overlook any opponent for the rest of the season, Um, and so they're not going to overlook Minnesota, and I think they could win pretty big, giving them some momentum before Michigan State. You want to take the Gophers? This could be interesting because, as Logan likes to call, no no one's – ever going to come into the barn and be, you know, just blow out, you know, Minnesota. The barn. Home. We mention it every time. I know. <laughs> but uh, That's the name of it. It's the time. barn. I've looked it up. I've showed you on Wikipedia. That's the name of the building. And that is a trustworthy source, isn't it? Yeah, All right, sure so is. here we go. <laughs> it's trustworthy That's as why no college professor lets us use Wikipedia as a source. Hey, but we whatever. do anyway. <laughs> Let's be- <laughs> anyway. Um, it's not a dot com. Could this be an upset game? I think it definitely could. I oh, think it's a trap game, absolutely. But I'm not going to take it. I mean, go for it. <laughs> Logan, did you pick Michigan too? Yeah, I picked Michigan. All right, you're, you're I'm, I'm, down, I'm down in the standings. I'll, I'll take Michigan on this one. And right. Keep play it safe. Speaking of, of rivalry, of, of upset games. Speaking of, of semi trap games. Moving on to Friday, Indiana at number 21, Iowa. This one, I'm going to take Indiana. I took Indiana the first time to beat Iowa, and they didn't. In Bloomington. Jordan Bohannon was What's the thought behind that? It's the athleticism of Indiana. Just terrifies me. You took Iowa over Maryland, and you took Indiana over Iowa. Yeah. How does that make sense? It's a letdown. Iowa gets a huge win against Maryland, moves into fourth place in the Big Ten. They're like, hey, we got a legit shot at a double bye here. And then you take on an Indiana team that is not a bad team. This is an Indiana team that is still currently on the bubble. They could make an NCAA tournament run. And they've got Romeo Langford. And Romeo Langford is so, so good. Juwan Morgan played well against Iowa. It's very, very hard to beat a team twice. That's something I've been told my entire but life. you're at home this time. It's so hard to beat a team twice. 
And I think because of that and the athleticism of this Indiana team is something that Iowa can't really compete with, I'm going to take Indiana. I'm taking the Hawkeyes. I am also taking Iowa too. I think they're gonna they're gonna feel, be feeling pretty good after being Maryland and moving into fourth place in those Big Ten standings. Um, they're still gonna be the only the third team in the entire Big Ten to reach twenty regular season wins. I like the Hawks on this one. I think Indiana. I think the Hawks have Indiana's number this year. If, Is Indiana you know, a tournament team? It's very possible. I mean, down the stretch, if they win. You know, probably four of their next five games, it's possible. But I'm going with the Hawkeyes. Moving on to Saturday's games, Ohio State at number 24, Maryland. This is an Ohio State team that has just struggled mightily as of late. It's been very, very, very difficult. So, I mean, Maryland losing to losing if – Things go to fruition the way we predicted for tonight's game against Iowa. Maryland loses to Iowa on Tuesday because of that. Because of, I think that is going to occur. I think Maryland's going to bounce back, and I think they're going to beat Ohio State on Saturday. Yeah, with the way that Ohio State has played recently, um, I don't see that they can go on the road to Maryland and win there. So I'm going to go with the Terrapins on this one. You know, early in the year when Iowa beat Ohio State in Columbus – You know, I really thought that was going to be a huge win and a very uh, resume-building win, and it actually has turned out not to be. So that's very disappointing. But, you know, Maryland's very talented. Ohio State, you know, before the Michigan-Penn State game, um, Ohio State was challenged by Penn State, and then they went into, you know, Michigan State and hung with them for 30 minutes of that ball game. So, um, but I'm going to go ahead and take Maryland here, I think that you know the Terps are going to come out on top. All right, moving on to our next game on Saturday, number 15, Purdue at Nebraska. Nebraska is another one of those teams. They were definitely struggling as of late. They were, they'd lost seven in a row. They won both of their games last week, but they weren't tremendous wins. You beat Northwestern. You beat Ohio State. I just think that Nebraska is a team that, while they have – played better while Isaiah Roby has shown he can be a dominating post presence I just think Purdue is just too much for them I don't think Glenn Watson is the same caliber of player as Carson Edwards I'm going to take the Boilermakers um, I'm going to go with Purdue as well on this one Nebraska their last two wins were at home so they they do play well in front of their crowd but with the way that Purdue's been playing recently and Carson Edwards his efficiency was what we've talked about throughout this show today i think this is a game where his efficiency is going to be pretty high yep i got purdue in this one too um boiler up nebraska has just been on a slippery slope you know throughout the rest of this the the, the course of this latter part of the season um they had it you know a 2-0 week which is amazing for nebraska fans um they're already in the process to look towards the rebuild so I like the Boilermakers in this one. Harms is going to be way too much for down low against Nebraska. And, you know, I don't, I don't see this one being very close. Our final Saturday game, number 22, Wisconsin at Northwestern. I, I, I was really tempted, honestly, taking a look at this game on paper. Derek Pardon taking on Ethan Happ. Ethan Happ struggling as of late. I really considered taking Northwestern in this game. And I think it's going to be very close, 
but I think Wisconsin's going to come out on top and, and, and win this game. I think Ethan Happ will play better than he has been recently. Vic Law, I think, for Northwestern is going to have a very good day. But for me, I just think that Derek Pardon is a very good – he's a good post player. He's not very good. He's a good post player. But I don't think he matches up well with the things that Ethan Happ likes to do. Right, Ethan Happ is a is an inside outside sort of guy. Ethan Happ can't make free throws, but he can step out. He can hit the three. He can hit a fifteen to eighteen foot jump shot, and he is, does a great job of when he's playing well of finding other guys in open spots and getting assists. Right, he's had two triple doubles this season. One of those was against Northwestern. So because of that, I, I think Ethan Happ's going to be huge, and I think Wisconsin's going to win. I really wanted to pick Northwestern as well, but then I looked at their uh, six-game losing streak that they're currently on, and that all started with uh, losing at Wisconsin, and they lost pretty bad um, there in Madison. So, and, I, and Ethan Happ had a big game in that one as well. And so with him being able to play successful against this Wildcats team, he knows how to beat him. He knows what works for him. Um, I'm going to take Wisconsin on the road. Uh, I think it could be close, though. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you guys. I really want to take Northwestern here. If you look at the first matchup, it was close for a while before Wisconsin went on a run and pulled away. Um, You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Wildcats on this one. I I like Northwestern. I really wanted to. I I I do. I, they're at home. They're not in the Cole Center, and Cole Center is a very, very tough place to play. Um, you know, Vic Law for Northwestern, he's averaging 15.5 points per game. He's shooting 40% from the floor, and he's got an 80% free throw stripe. You know, I mean, it's possible. I, li- I like this upset. It's definitely possible. I, I like this upset. I'm going with the Wildcats. Now for the biggest game in, in the Big Ten this week. Number 10, Michigan State, at number 7, Michigan. Like you put, it's finally here. I mean, it's, this is just this is a remarkable game, a huge game for, for Big Ten title implications, those sorts of things. After this weekend's game, we've got one more matchup between these two teams to decide who is, is going to win the Big Ten title. I mean, this is, this is very, very interesting of a performance. Wolverines lost last week to Penn State. We've seen they're vulnerable. Michigan State now without Nick Ward, they're vulnerable. So this, I mean, this could be a very, very good game or a very, very bad game. Nobody really knows. But you know you're going to get an entertaining one when these two teams match up. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I copied some of the quotes here from this ESPN article, and it said, the coaches aren't going to look past these games that are going on this week that the Spartans and Wolverines both have. But it says, we as fans can, you can, and you should. I mean, this is the game we've been waiting for all season long in the Big Ten. They're tied. Um, and, gosh, I really don't know where to go on this one. <sighs> Well, I'm going to go with to, the Wolverines. To, to, I don't know why. I, I just really think their style defensively can make Winston uncomfortable, um, and Brasdikas could have a big game. Well, if you look at uh, the ESPN matchup predictor, uh, and that is according to ESPN's Basketball Power Index, it is right at 50-50. Is so, it really? So wow, it's literally It's given flip. the edge to Michigan State at 50.4 50 50. <laughs> to 49.6. So, I mean, it is right there at 50-50. Um, 
I would love to say that home field advantage is going to be the uh, the turning point in this game. The first matchup here is in Ann Arbor. Uh, it's at the Chrysler Center. But I'm going to go ahead and take the Spartans. Ooh. I like Michigan State in this first Road matchup. Dogs. Yep, I do. Um, Cassius Winston has been an animal, you know, in these past few games. Um, they're on a three-game win streak. I like the Spartans this one. I think Tom Enzo, Izzo is a heck of a coach. Let's go they're Sparty. both good coaches, though. They are. Um, I'm, I'm going to agree with Austin. I'm going to take Michigan. For me, I just think I, I think this Nick Ward injury is much bigger than some people are making it out to be, especially against a team like Michigan. The biggest, the, one of the biggest factors in that Michigan loss to Penn State, one of the biggest reasons in that Michigan loss to Wisconsin, that Michigan loss to Iowa, was Michigan was dominated on the glass, rebounding. They lost the rebounding battle in double figures in all three of those games. Without Nick Ward, who is their team's leading rebounder, they don't. Michigan doesn't have to worry as much. Ignis Brasdikas is a six-seven stretch four. He's not a tremendous rebounder, and that hurts Michigan at times. Without Nick Ward, there isn't as big of a fear with that. The fear of being out rebounded, the fear of double-digit offensive rebounds for Michigan State, sort of goes out the window a little bit. I'm not saying it won't happen, right? That Kenny Goins is a great rebounder. Xavier Tillman's a great rebounder. But without Nick Ward, who is their best post presence, that is going to play a factor. And Michigan's got, Michigan State has nobody that can guard Ignis Brasdikas. The biggest thing for me is this Penn State thing that just happened to Michigan. And that sticks as my, in my mind as I'm making this pick because Penn State Don't did that. do you think they learn off that loss, though? Yes, they do, but it just shows how how vulnerable, like I said earlier, Michigan can be. Even with all these injuries to Michigan State's lineup, I still think that they they might have the edge in this one. I really do. I'm gonna. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 no, I, see, it's like fifty-fifty, yeah, like you just said. It's flipping a coin. Moving now into the SEC. Honestly, I think we're probably gonna go a little bit past time again today. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk the SEC this week. No, oh, there's not that many SEC games. We, That's true. But this, we, I mean, gotta do like some local bracketology. Six. And this first one is really uh, yeah. Vanderbilt at number five, Tennessee. Don't really need to do a lot of build up. Tennessee lost their last game. They're gonna come out very very fired up. I think Tennessee is going to win this one going away. Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield, 20 points apiece. It's going to be a blowout. Yep. I this, like Tennessee in this one, too. The the chance for Vanderbilt to beat their in-state rival was the first meeting when, yes. it, was, when it was in Vanderbilt. Um, and the, vol- uh, the volunteers aren't going to let that be close again. Um, Especially not after coming off a loss at Kentucky. Exactly. I think they have and something to prove Grant Williams point. was literally unstoppable the first time these teams met. He had like close to 40 points, I believe, that first time when it went into overtime. So expect a big game out of him again. Uh, Tennessee's not losing this one, no. All right. Our second SEC matchup of this week is number four, Kentucky at Missouri. This is another one of those games I think is going to be very similar to the Tennessee-Vanderbilt game. I'm sorry to say that. I know there's a probably very, very – large amount of Mizzou people that would be listening to this, primarily Mizzou fans, honestly, but P.J. Washington is 
is just a, a tremendous player. Kentucky plays great defense. John Calipari feeds off of forcing turnovers. This is a Missouri team that is very, very susceptible to turning the ball over. They turned over the ball 25 times against Ole Miss. So for me, I just, I just don't like this matchup for, for Missouri. I'm going to take the Wildcats. It's going to be really tough for the Tigers to stop P.J. Washington. I remember in the Sweet 16 when K-State beat Kentucky. Let's eat. Um, and P.J. Washington wow. was just a monster. And I thought for sure, oh, he's one and done. He's going to the NBA. But he comes back, and he's playing just out of his mind. I mean, he's a lethal force um, who is – has eight 20 point efforts in his last nine games. 20 points in his last eight out of the, uh, in, in, in out of his last nine games. And so in Columbia for Missouri, who is one in 11 all time against Kentucky, enter the contest with nine setbacks in their past 12 games. And they just lost to Mississippi 75 65. I'm sorry, Missouri. This is just, Kentucky's just too good. I'll take Kentucky. (laughs) (laughs) Our next matchup, Florida at LSU. LSU is a team that is red hot right now. They're playing some of the best basketball in all of college. They're the hottest team in the the nation right now. Yeah, they're playing some of the best (laughs) basketball in in all of college hoops. Um, I'm going to take LSU. Nazrian Reed and and Tremont Waters are a tremendous front court, back court, one-two duo. And I think that's going to be tough for, for Florida to overcome. This is a Florida team that is fairly down in compared to years past as well. I like LSU in this one. Um, LSU's just hot right now. I mean, there's, yeah. no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Hot. Um, you know, Florida's coming off, like you said, a, a blowout to Alabama. I don't think they really uh, really stand a chance in this one. Um just yeah, the the only like question that I have for LSU in this one is that now they are getting the attention that they deserve, um, being tied for first in the SEC, um, and then their biggest matchup coming up on Saturday could be looming over their heads a little bit. They're, I mean, you can't not look at that game on Saturday against Tennessee, but I think that the way they've been playing, just with that kind of, we're trying to prove people wrong this season. They have two NBA talents on their team, and they're young and they're. Very lethal, so I'm going to take uh, Louisiana State. I was, I needed a double take for a second. You said Louisiana State. I was like, wait, who? Oh, LSU. Okay, <laughs> threw me off. Nobody I also calls them Louisiana State. No, nobody. Nobody calls TCU Texas Christian. True. It's just one of those things. I also think I wish I wish our soundboard here had like sounds like bu- buzzers I could make so I could hit like an alarm button. And just be like, oh, Homer alert. Austin said something about K- Kansas being bad or K-State being really good. Or one of we us being it. like we Iowa. Yeah, we just need sound effects. Those would be great. <laughs> Tennessee at LSU. You just mentioned it. Uh, a huge game for both of these teams. They're currently tied right now atop the SEC standings. Uh, I think this is a toss-up game. It's going to be a very close game. Very interesting throughout. Um, I'm going to take Tennessee. I just think that... Nazarene Reed and Tremont Waters are a great a great one-two punch for LSU, but I just think that Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams form a better one-two punch for Tennessee. And for Tennessee, if they can if they can convert with their outside shooting and hold LSU, keep LSU at bay from the perimeter. LSU is a team that has shown they can struggle shooting the ball from deep. It, the LSU is going to get theirs in the paint. 
Tremont Waters does a great job of getting in, right? All of LSU's guards do a great job of dribble penetration. Nazri and Reed, LSU's post players, are tremendous down in the low block. But so are Tennessee's. So if Tennessee can play well from the perimeter, offensively, defensively, it's going to help them win the game, and I think they will. I think what you said about the one-two punch um, for Tennessee being better than Waters and Reed with Williams and Schofield for Tennessee is the difference for me. Um, those guys are good, but they're young, and they haven't played in as high of a – I mean, they play, they won in Lexington. But now coming home, defending your home court against what was the number one team in the nation in Tennessee – I think the stage might be a little too big for them. Um, and for Tennessee, and especially with head coach Barnes, he's he's going to get these guys ready for this game. Not so yes. fast, my friend. I'm, I, I, I'm taking LSU in this one over Good. Tennessee. Um, it's in Baton Rouge. The Bengal Tigers are going to come out roaring. I'm, I'm taking LSU in this one just to cap off this amazing show we've got here. But Seriously. I like the upset in this one. I think LSU is still even extremely underrated. I absolutely think they are underrated. I, don't I think see they're one March. of the I think they're one of the best teams, probably top seven or eight best teams in the entire country right now. Um, I like him on their home court. I'm going I'm going LSU over Tennessee. All right. Do we want to do some local bracketology or or do we just wanna call it a show? Six o'clock right on the dot, so Tuck, Tuck, I know you got. I know move. you got production meeting at seven for the for the Missourian. I I mean, let's geez. kick it with some local bracketology. Okay, all right. <laughs> we just know you're busy. All right, just had to had to had to make got, sure you got, 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 got a good four to go. Seed. That's one thing that stands out to me is they're a four yeah, we'll, seed. We'll start. We'll, we'll go into each region here, starting starting with our the East region that the, that region ending in Washington D.C. Duke. One seed right now. Baylor somehow, according to Lenardi, this this came out yesterday. Um, he's still got Baylor in, in in the NCAA tournament as of right now as an eight seed taking taking on Wofford. Like you mentioned, LSU now a four seed. Michigan is the two in that region taking on Loyola Chicago, which kind of surprises me because Loyola Chicago has not had a tremendous season by any means right now. They're sixteen and eleven. They're tied for. First in the Missouri Valley, right alongside a Drake team right now who's twenty and seven. Had to mention that as as an Iowa school. That's kind of local, a, an interesting local, thing. Local local team. Yeah, and Missouri State as well at nine and five. They're fifteen and twelve. So, I mean, they're not having a tremendous season by any means. But Lenardi still thinks that, as most people do, they're the most talented team in that conference, and that they'll make the NCAA tournament. So, yeah, that's a. That's a fairly interesting interesting bracket right there. Duke's Kansas the State number one one seed. Yep. I Kansas think State stay is a six. Also, K State dropped. They were the number one overall six seed. Now they've they've dropped a little bit to one of those lower tiered six seeds. Playing in a region as hard as that one is with teams like Duke and Michigan, um, teams that are perennial final you know, what fours. What would be really interesting is if K State's able to win in that first round and look who they would play. Marquette, Marquette. a team that they. Lost to early on in the season. Didn't Marcus Howard drop fifty in that uh, game like or forty something? Yeah. Yep. So that would be really intriguing there for K State against Marquette in a rematch. Hard to beat a team twice. It is. Moving now to the South Region, Virginia, one seed in that region. This this region is very interesting for me, especially as uh, from a from a Big Ten standpoint. You've got Kentucky right there as a two seed in SEC school, but then Purdue. 
is a three seed in that region. Iowa State, a Big 12 is a four. Wisconsin is a five. So, I mean, two two Big Ten teams in that conf- in that, that bracket, that region right there that are top five seed. I mean, very, very interesting right there. UCF is an 11, is, a, is another tough Oklahoma's matchup. Oklahoma's a 10. Still Oklahoma's <laughs> hovering right there in the NCAA tournament. Kentucky taking on Northern Kentucky. That's, that's kind of funny. That's kind of interesting. So, Eight teams from the Big 12, eight from the SEC, nine from the ACC, and eight from the Big 10. Yeah, very. this bracket for sure this year is very dominated by those by those Power you, four, yeah. top four schools. The Pac-12 is With two. far, far behind normal expectations. Schools like UCLA, Washington, Washington State have not been world beaters by any means. Washington is right now in the NCAA tournament right now as a seven seed in the Midwest region. Tennessee, the one in that region right there. Arizona State is the other Pac-12 school. They're in this Midwest region as well as a 12, taking on Alabama in that, in that play-in What's game. What's interesting about this Midwest region is that you could potentially have a Kansas-Michigan State rematch in w- what would be the Sweet 16, yeah. which would be really interesting. And especially if that's in Kansas City, that would be tough for Michigan State. Yeah, it certainly would. be like a home game for the Jayhawks. Last time it was in Kansas City, though, they lost to Oregon. Shout out, <laughs> shout out uh, Dana Altman. What a goat. There's that Homer button I needed. <laughs> yeah. I There's needed that right effect. there. Yep, should have had it. <laughs> Taking a look at our final region, the West region, Anaheim. Gonzaga, number one seed in that region. Um, of course, surprisingly enough, uh, I- I'm really shocked with Kentucky being ahead of Tennessee in the AP poll. They still have, Ken- they still have Tennessee as... As a one seed, Kentucky as a two. Um, North Carolina sitting right there as a two seed right now. Of course, you take a look at that game against Duke. If they beat Duke in that one, especially if it's, I mean, a double-figure sort of win, they could push themselves right into a one seed sort of consideration. How, how do you like the Hawkeyes matchup against old VCU? Hate it. Makes me nervous. That's a team. VCU, VCU is just a team based on recent history. Just makes me nervous. And then we'll probably get a... a a Houston, Houston team, team that's lost one that. game. Yeah. yeah, a 25 and 1 Houston team that that's why the Hawks, doesn't really seem to but, get any respect at all. Yeah, I just I just think that if the Hawks can do what they're supposed to and win the games they're supposed to win these last 5 games, they will they, be a they will end as a 4 or 5 okay. seed. And I think they'll have a better better outlook for the tournament. If Lenardi gives us what we deserve, other you know, and <laughs> yeah. it's very, it's very on, Joe. subject to change. Obviously, Joe must be using the AP poll. That's all I have. Oh, to say. what a great way to finish! You had to throw that in at the I end. I did. Didn't had to throw another jab in. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for another episode of Tuesday Takeover. Once again, I am. Yes, please, please. If you're if you're in and around the Midwest. Please be safe. This this blizzard coming in here in the next 24 hours or so. I'm Logan Weber, of course, as always, with Austin McNorton and Tucker Quinn. That's going to do it for this week. Tune in next week. We'll be talking more college hoops then.